0: Also, there's going to be a counter-recruitment demonstration on Saturday, this coming Saturday, October 7th at 11 a.m. It's an anti-poor war protest. Um, This is to confront military recruitment outside the Oakland Military Recruiting Station at 3712 Forbes Avenue between Atwood and Oakland Avenue. You can go to our website for more information about the counter-recruitment demonstration. Also, um, just a reminder that you can listen to Democracy Now!, Uh, every weekday at 8 a.m. on WRCT, this station. And, um, of course, Rust Belt Radio, which is a Monday evening program at 6, is replayed at 9 o'clock. And a new program that's just started on Monday at 9, right after Democracy Now! in the morning it's called Law and Disorder, which is a program um, about how our rights are being er eroded um, and with four prominent civil rights lawyers from various important organizations, one of whom is uh, Michael Ratner, who will be a guest later on in the program. So uh there are a number of uh topics that uh buzzing around the political landscape this week and uh <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll just start to chat about them and uh again if you if you have any uh opinions or want to join the discussion, give us a call at uh 9728
1: Or just send mail at bob at left out and info and we'll monitor electronic mail during the program. I wanted to mention that uh, today is being October 3rd. Uh, in two days' time, October 5th is the third anniversary of Left Out. Our first program was on October 5th, uh, 2003. Hard to believe that it's been three years already. Wow, uh, it's gone by. It was, that a, was a pilot on a October, pilot show, October yeah. 3rd, 2006. But that was the program in which we uh, famously uh, predicted that uh, Scooter Libby would be behind the outing of Valerie Plame, <laughs> and uh, indeed, we were quite right. <clears throat> as we have been about most issues yeah, involving right. the uh, uh, the bush administration over the last uh, no no uh, but the bob no, was but there no, anything we know we it was arm-
0: armitage now Oh, Libby had suggests. nothing to do with it. That's uh, true. No, Libby is not in, true.
1: Went, Libby went in for as being was being. He was uh, indicted. indicted for lying, right? Lying under oath for yeah, yeah. To cover but up. I think he was also <clears throat> also
0: involved in the outing. But
1: which of the many things in the last five years have we been wrong about with respect to the Bush administration? Geez, this will be uh, this will be, uh, this, will be uh, this will be an interesting conversation. Do any of our listeners remember Were we ever wrong about anything? <laughs> I think we're I think we're right about everything, weren't we? Um, yeah, all the way all the way through, pertaining to the Iraq War, pertaining to our domestic policies of various kinds. Uh, we'll save the discussion about our constitutional issues until uh, Michael Ratner uh, calls in at uh, 630. That will be an appropriate opportunity to have a conversation with him. But one thing I wanted to mention amongst many, there are tons, and we'll, I'm sure many of our listeners will have uh, things that they wish to discuss as well, is the, the latest uh, book from... Um, uh, from uh, Bob Woodward, uh, in which he uh, seems to be serving as a mouthpiece for a number of uh, ex-Bush uh, administration insiders who seem to be exacting their revenge. Mm-hmm. In particular, all, all signs are that Tenet, uh, George <coughs> Tenet, is uh, is is, uh, <laughs> is, ge- is ge- giving uh, Bush his payback for uh, blaming the CIA for his lies and misrepresentation. But he got
0: the national award, right? The, the uh, national award. Uh, the presidential.
1: Of, uh, what was that? W- the uh, what is that word? Uh, uh, Medal of Freedom. Medal of Freedom, the yeah, presi- that's it. Yeah. According to Woodward, Tenet says he wishes he could give it back. <laughs> he considers I mean, it's hush money, right? The reason for, for, for giving that was to get him to shut up, right? That's, yeah. that's the whole idea. Um, so uh, certainly one surmises that uh, one of his primary sources and people who seem to be more in the know and who have tra- tra- traced through the things that Woodward does say, it seems quite clear that uh, Tenet is uh, one of the people who is uh, telling uh, telling Woodward what's been going on. And there are many aspects to this. You'll notice that uh, the things that are being said now are entirely consistent with what, for example, Paul O'Neill said about the Bush administration a few years ago, with what Don Diulio, the uh, first uh, head of uh, faith based initiatives or whatever that nonsense yeah. is called, uh, said. All these people who are forced out of the Bush administration. But, but,
0: but he, isn't he saying a yeah. lot more about the infighting mm. between.
1: He's saying more, but about, I'm just saying it's consistent yeah. with like this yeah. story, right? There's consistently been this pattern that the people who are forced out, the story that they tell is quite a lot at variance with the nonsense that. That you hear on the Republican media that we hear nonstop 247 on the radio and on television uh, throughout the United States. Um, So uh, there are many aspects of this. uh, But one of the things that has come out, which I think is uh, especially damning and especially significant... Is the fact that on July tenth, two thousand and one, George Tenet uh, uh, held a uh, uh, went to uh, Condi Rice's office and held a meeting with the uh, National Security Council to inform them about impending terrorist attacks based on information that the CIA had gleaned. Not the and National
0: Security Council, just a security. Who just Tenet? Just wasn't it just Tenet and? Um one other person. Well, I don't know.
1: Well, Condoleezza Rice and uh, and uh, Zelico, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. And right, exactly. To to inform them about uh, the impending threat of a terrorist attack, which uh, had been uncovered by the CIA, uh, going back to the uh, to the Clinton administration. And during the during the uh, first uh, you know at that point seven months of the Bush administration, and um, the, the interesting thing is you know as we all know, uh, Shrub has blamed the CIA for uh, all of the failures of either the failure to detect the attacks or the failure to uh, the failure to uh, understand that uh, that Iraq was not a was not a threat to the United States. All these things have been blamed, but in fact we knew everyone knew anybody who bothers to pay half attention knows that that was a big pack of lies. And so what is um so what is going on here is um his tenant has revealed to Woodward that uh that he he had a meeting with uh Condy in July 10 2001 and she ordered him also to meet with Rumsfeld and Ash, Ashcroft uh then the secretary uh excuse me attorney general uh secretary of defense current secretary of defense and then attorney general John Ashcro- Ashcroft yeah another uh, another fine fellow uh and they were uh expressly informed about the uh, impending uh, impending attack, and that the CIA, contrary to what has been said so many times, it makes you want to puke about how our intelligence agency failed to connect the dots. Well, actually, uh-huh. they had perfectly well connected the dots. Let's <clears throat> p- put this in plain English. They had absolutely positively understood and warned the Bush administration of the impending attack. As uh, as Tenet says, he told them at that time, on a scale of 1 to 10, this was a 10. <clears throat> and this is completely consistent with... Um, with um, um, boy, I'm having trouble. The with names presidential de- breaches. No, uh, about well. the 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 No, the are at the time. Richard Clark. Yeah. With Richard Clark, who has described it as you know, telling Condi that her hair is on fire. You know that the whole that the situation is extremely dire, and they did nothing whatsoever about it. So the. The important things to recognize here is immediately Condoleezza Rice denied everything, never had such a meeting, no meeting with them. He never said anything. John Ashcroft awoke from the dead, wherever he is, uh, popped up and said, oh, no, nobody had ever told him any such thing, uh, except that it turns out it has. There's a paper trail. And the uh, the uh, State Department the other day, uh, a mere several hours after uh, after Condi and Ashcroft made categorical denials of ever having been told, uh, a review of the White House records determined that. George Tenet did brief Condoleezza Rice and and other top visual on July 10th. And I'm reading from a New York Times uh, article on this uh, on this on July 10th, 2001, about the uh, looming threat of Al al Qaeda. And now and and so Condi, Condi, the liar, uh, came and said, oh, well, you know, she couldn't remember uh, any such thing. And 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 she she described it as incomprehensible that she would ignore these dire threats of this kind. And all I can say to that is, indeed, it is incomprehensible. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Right. It is absolutely. And then she tried to. To pretend that oh he only spoke about you know attacks that would happen on foreign soil, except it's completely inconsistent with, for example, the the uh, the uh, national the, intelligence the, estimate, which the, was called the, Bin Laden determined to no, strike the, in the U.S.
0: National w- intelligence wasn't the presidential daily briefing mm-hmm. in the, August. Presidential daily briefing, yeah.
1: August sixth of two thousand. Well, the other yeah. thing is yeah. that
0: she was yeah. scheduled to give a speech on September twelfth,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And th- that speech is. <clears> Apparently people have seen it and it had nothing in there of about terrorism. It, of course it doesn't.
1: It had to do with uh, missile defense and John Ashcroft was br- was briefed on this and Donald Rumsfeld was briefed on this and first of all just let's be clear they're absolute bald-faced liars in denying that they weren't briefed on this and absolutely bald-faced liars in claiming that the briefing had nothing to say on the matter that was pertinent to to uh, national security, that it was somehow about foreign countries and some generic thing, and you'll remember very clearly. And speaking before the nine eleven commission, how Condi put on a big act about oh, you know, uh, when when Richard Benveniste asked her point blank what was the title of this presidential daily briefing on that date, and she even misrepresented it then and pretended that it was like, oh my God, what what a trivial matter? Who could possibly remember such trivial things like uh, you know the presidential Bin Laden daily determined brief from it. to attack. In the U.S. Yeah. Okay. She misquoted it deliberately as bin Laden determined to attack the U.S. She left out in, Mm -hmm. okay, for her own convenience uh, to try to get herself off the hook. But the fact is, is that Ashcroft knew. So what was Ashcroft's reaction to this? Ashcroft immediately uh, cut, imposed severe budget cuts on the counterterrorism efforts within the U.S. Remember this. Ashcroft cut the counterterrorism budgets after being fully informed by Tenet of the impending attack terrorist attack that, in fact, took place on September 11, 2001. What else did John Ashcroft do? Well, for reasons that have never been explained, he suddenly decided, starting in July of 2001, that he would no longer fly in commercial aircraft and was flying only in private planes. And the reason (laughs) is, is for security reasons. Now, It may be a remarkable coincidence. It may very well be a remarkable coincidence, but isn't it a remarkable coincidence (laughs) that the attorney general who had been informed of the impending terrorist attack. And in fact, I'll remind our listeners they were explicitly warned of the possibility of flying jet airplanes into buildings as weapons specifically warned in advance of this very specific uh, possibility of an attack. And coincidentally, John Ashcroft decided that as a matter of uh, national security and his own personal security, would no longer fly in commercial aircraft starting in July of 2001, but was flying only in private planes when he needed to go around the country. Now, that is is a remarkable coincidence, and it may be that he's just one lucky fellow who perhaps when he was uh, praying to the Lord, the Lord informed him that he should probably start taking private planes. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, we know that the Repugnicans have a special channel to God, so it's entirely uh, uh, conceivable Mm -hmm. that they, they were getting inside information here that the rest of us are not privy to. But in any case, he saw fit to protect himself. Whether he got the information from God or otherwise, he saw fit to protect himself rather than to uh, do anything about protecting the country. Uh, and Condoleezza Rice, as we well know, did absolutely squat about this uh, about this uh, impending threat. No, but the,
0: but don't you know the uh, the talking points <clears throat> from right wing radio? And they are they are that that uh, it's all Clinton's fault, mm. and that Clinton didn't do anything after the <clears throat> first World Trade Center bombing and. And, um, and uh, he didn't, didn't, you know, respond properly. And, and it, it, Bush only had, a, you know, a matter of a few nanoseconds.
1: Yeah, well, what I we mean, know is that in the more. January 2001 State, State of the Union Address by one George W. Bush, the most important thing on their mind was tax cuts and a missile defense system. And they were absolutely categorically brushing off and ignoring the warnings that they were getting from Richard Clark in particular from the handoff from the, from the Clinton administration right. in, yeah. even in December of 2000 uh, in the interregnum between, uh, between, the, um, between the two presidencies. After the election and before the inauguration, and uh, and then uh, continue to ignore even their own CIA director George Tenet, who specifically made an emergency visit to uh, to uh, this to uh, to uh, Rice's office to brief her, and then also Ashcroft and Rumsfeld, and they did precisely nothing about it, other than possibly to protect their own butts. Uh, that seems they they seem to have taken some measures to make sure that they weren't caught up in this. But apart from that. Uh, they did precisely nothing. You'll recall, our listeners will recall, that the attitude of the incoming Bush administration was that everything Clinton said and done was categorically false and to be ignored, and this was part of their part of their big attitude. Because, right. as we all know, Shrub uh, has been from day one trying to prove he's a man and trying to prove that he's uh, he's a bigger man than his father. He's got a serious complex on this. Well. And You're speculating,
0: Bob. I I'm speculating. Really think it. but, but it's me, entirely me,
1: consistent with his behavior, uh, driven totally by attitude.
0: Let me, let me just say something about that, though, which is that when you know the, late, the this thing mm. happened with Clinton being interviewed by Chris Wallace, where Clinton really took offense at mm. these questions and pointed out how much he had done and how little Bush had done, and pointing out that Chris Wallace had not asked those questions of Bush,
1: Very good or the
0: Bush administration, and... Chris Wallace kind of weakly defended himself, but it turns out Clinton was completely correct. He never asked those questions, like why was Richard Clark demoted? And um, why didn't they uh, do anything? Uh, didn't respond? What did they, uh, what was the other thing that, that was uh, the demotion of Chris Wallace? Oh, the coal. They didn't do anything about the coal, even though it had been announced that bin Laden had been the cause of that. Right at, right at the time Bush took office, mm-hmm. the CIA and the FBI decided, well, yes, it was bin Laden who had attacked the coal. He did nothing for nine months until, well. Nine Eleven. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the thing is, the reason that the Republicans, they went nuts attacking Clinton after that is because he's attacking this what they claim is their strong point, which is security. <clears throat> and he's just blowing holes and making it obvious <clears throat> the same story that you just told about Condi Rice not doing anything. Clinton made that story very clear and that this is something they can't tolerate. They yep. cannot stand it because it's it's their reason for existing. It's the reason that if anybody still has any, you know, reason to vote for them, that, if they're ahead on any scale, it's because of so-called their, their superiority in the national security area.
1: Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, how could any person think that somehow after all of this information after all of these years after this nonsense from day 1 that somehow they are you know more responsible more capable Well, of maybe one of our listeners can call defense. in and maybe one of our listeners can can inform us 412 268 9728 you're certainly welcome to call or to send electronic mail to bob at left out info so this is this is one pattern is that it was uh, quite clear that those guys were uh, completely uh, out to lunch uh, prior to the 911 attacks they didn't do anything about it They're lying about it to this day, and after all, you know, why do they lie? Well, they lie because they're trying to cover up. And uh, it's interesting, also, I pointed out in the left out.info webpage, is that uh, you'll you'll recall also the 9-11 Commission was obviously a whitewash. One of the respects in which it was a whitewash is one of the people on the 9-11 Commission was none other than Philip Zelikow. Philip Zelikow was Condoleezza Rice's advisor. He was one of the people who was Oh, when they deleted of this.
0: that whole thing. That never, that never appeared in the 9-11 Commission.
1: Which which is the what? Meeting,
0: the, condi- the meeting between the of them. Yeah,
1: t- so that's not there. Yeah. Philip Zelikow was a guy who was on, was Condoleezza. In other words, Philip Zelikow was on the Commission that was supposed to be investigating, amongst other people, Philip Zelikow. Okay, think about this, people. We said this at the time that we pointed out at the time that this was going on, this 9-11 commission, that Philip Zelikow should be on the 9-11 commission is preposterous. It's part of a cover-up. It is a cover-up. These people are criminals, and it's a cover-up. Now, you can speculate as to why it is. I mean, you know, never never underestimate uh, incompetence. And so one can certainly uh, say as a baseline uh, analysis of what's going on here is grotesque incompetence coupled with uh, uh, poor leadership and, and uh, an enormous amount of attitude, as Don uh, DiIulio said at the time, I "and mean, everything is driven by politics and nothing by policy, complete absence of policymaking apparatus. So that's entirely possible. But I think those of us who are a bit more, sinister and who think that, for example, Dick Cheney, who really runs the— Are you sinister? —runs the—have run, a sinister-minded about this, <laughs> who, who take a more sinister view of what's going on, is what I mean to say, uh, you know, will point out that, uh, you know, this is the Cheney administration, and it's well within Cheney's capability to conspire with Rumsfeld to uh, do the kind of thing that's been done, uh, for example, to completely ignore this issue uh, for their own nefarious reasons, and it certainly will feed suspicions of this kind. Uh, so far we don 't have specific uh, evidence of this. So what we do have specific evidence of is absolute incompetence, gross incompetence, and absolute flagrant lying and let 's be clear about it. So another point uh, related to all of this is that of course uh, then there was they turned this um, the uh, this attack this nightmarish attack uh, from three years ago uh, from excuse me from five years ago into the um, on the u s and they turned this into an opportunity to put into place all sorts of things that they wanted to put into place, including some of the constitutional issues we 'll discuss shortly. But uh, One of them, as we well know, was then was to launch willy nilly into an attack on Iraq. An interesting thing has come out, uh, I just got a link to this uh, from Matt Hornyak, our producer, uh, which is an email that uh, came up from uh, Jack Abramoff. You'll know of Jack Abramoff as being uh, this uh, lobbyist who is at the nexus of uh, quite a few Republican scandals, including uh, bringing down the, the whole scandal involving Grover Nor- Norquist and Ralph Reed, uh, involving ripping off the Indian tribes and basically ripping each other off. It was basically, uh, it reminds me of a, a Hollywood movie in which, you know, all of the, all of the sleaze buckets are, are in a circuit. Firing squad, each one double-crossing and ripping off the other one in a, in a completely circular fashion. And here we had, you know, the angelic Ralph Reed who was trying to screw Grover Norquist, who was trying to screw <laughs> Jack Abramoff, who was trying to screw Ralph Reed, and are all screwing the Indian tribes and all of their and, and, clients, and,
0: and, 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 they're, and, and they're all the while blessing they're themselves, blessing well. themselves
1: at every at every moment, and yeah. and, and talking about their talking superior about how the moral, of gambling, moral virtue, the, the scourge of gambling, while, while promoting gambling, it, while promoting it. Yeah. So anyway, here's so the famous. Jack Abramoff. Here's an email, March 18, 2002. Get that date correctly. March 18, 2002. It says, I was sitting yesterday with Karl Rove, and it recently, by the way, it was revealed that Abramoff has made dozens and dozens of visits to the White House, and in fact, had given uh, tickets to sporting events and cultural events to Karl Rove and so on. Obviously, we know he's an insider, but the records have come out that he's actually been to the White House many, 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 many times. This email says, I was sitting with Karl Rove, Bush's top advisor at the NCAA basketball game, discussing Israel when this email came in. I it, to him. Uh, it seems that the president was very sad to have come out negatively regarding in, in Israel. had to come out uh, uh, yeah. was well, very sad to have to come out negatively regarding Israel, but that they needed to mollify the Arabs for the upcoming war on Iraq. Okay, listen to that. Uh, March eighteenth, two thousand and two. That is Abramov is saying that the Bush administration was saying that they needed to mollify the Arabs for the upcoming war on Iraq. Okay, let that sink in, please. March eighteenth, two thousand and two, the upcoming war. Even Jack Abramoff, who is just a lobbyist, right, knew apparently, according to this email, knew uh, of the upcoming war in Iraq that it was completely foreordained, completely established. Um, you know, so again, giving yeah. giving the well, lie to all the nonsense. This
0: this is totally consistent with all the evidence we've had, mm-hmm. like the, the Downing Street memos and and, and
1: absolutely and consistent the behavior
0: that they, they had. The Rumsfeld writing notes at uh, the day after nine eleven.
1: Absolutely you know, consistent. Sweep it all up, including Iraq. So pop, like a pop quiz. How many civilians died in, uh, in Iraq in August 2006 this past month? A uh, month before last, actually, now that we're in October. Okay.
0: Uh, I think it was something like 6,000.
1: 6,000. 6,000 died in acts of violence in, aug- in just August 2006. Of course, those 6,000 people are much better off than they were under Saddam Hussein. Uh, so we have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, well, this
0: reminds me of something that I. Um,
1: and it's so, it's such a successful operation, I can absolutely see why everyone would vote for them on the grounds that they are really much better at handling uh, uh, foreign affairs and our national defense.
0: So I uh, um, was thinking about this: the, the fact that the war had so much support when it when it started was all this, but ex- not, not, from, from, not us. from us. We were against it. <laughs> and we're proud of that and we we're, we're proud of the fact that we saw through I'm very proud of we that. saw through the
1: we were right
0: the garbage we saw through all the garbage and all the media which was the rabble rousing and being be a government you know um, propaganda machine we saw through all of that and I mean I'm I don't I would I'm not gonna say I'm a genius. It's just I'm just exactly. reading the right said sources, this over. exactly. The right sources of news and exactly and, and use some common sense and exactly. out connecting the dots exactly. and so exactly. Right. So so I you know, I I have got you know, there's a there's a discussion group on, on our in our department called the Zephyr system, and these political discussions go on. So I, it's also archived, you know, so I can go back and look at the discussions I was involved in. And back in 2002, 2003, I'm talking about how this war is wrong and insane and it, it, it's a mess and all that stuff. And um, meanwhile, everybody, most of the people on that thing are also are talking about or explaining why this war is a good idea. So what I just want to I mean, now, now they all realize, of course, how wrong they were. But what what I want to have happen as a result of this, there ought to be some thoughtful process by which people realize, well, I was wrong. Slater was right, or Harper was right, um, and a lot of other people were among right. dozens, among hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Of people. Well, what's the what? What did I do wrong? Now, I was reading a quote from a Turing Award lecture by Bob Floyd.
1: So, a Turing Award is the uh, the Nobel Prize in computer science,
0: right? And he every 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 winner gets to write a. Uh, an article in the, the magazine of the uh, Computing Machinery Association. and, and Anyway, so he, he says, let me just read a little a little quote from this. I find a certain technique most useful in expanding my own capabilities. After solving a challenging mm-hmm. problem, I solve it again from scratch, retracting, uh, uh, retracing only the insight from the earlier solution. I repeat this until the solution is as, as clear and direct as I can hope for. Then I would look for a general rule for attacking similar problems. <clears throat> Okay, so he goes on, but the main point is, he's reflecting. He's going back and saying, "I saw. I tried to solve this problem. I, I had a bad solution at first, and then I figure out what I could have done if I, you know, if to make himself smarter." Mm-hmm. Okay, this is what all these people who were supporting the war, all the millions that you know, the percent of Americans who were supporting this war before and are now realizing that that was a mistake. They need to go back and look at what they what was the information they were basing it on, which pundits' predictions were they believing. And and then they need to say those are the wrong people. Those are the wrong news sources. We shouldn't be listening to them. To change, we have to change something. Something should be changed. And this happened to me a long time ago. Gulf War One, back in the early nineties. I was just going nuts about this war that was like I thought was. And everybody now thinks it was a wonderful war, and it was. But I, I still know I still have problems with it, which we can talk about some other time. But my point is, I was so outraged I went back and I started subscribing to all, looking around and saying, "What the? What can I find? What other information can I use?" And so I started subscribing to the uh, to the Nation magazine and a magazine called Lies of Our Times, which doesn't exist anymore. A magazine called Fair, which analyzes the media, and um, so that's how I've sort of evolved into this position.
1: I see. So that that's actually good advice. I mean, it is very interesting that, uh, it, they, well, you know, as I said particularly after the last election when I felt particularly dejected, is you know, it seems to me that people like to be lied to. You know, they like to be told some story that more or less sounds good, and they don't have to think. Unfortunately, and you're making a plea to think, and it's hard to argue with that. But boy, it's hard for me to think that uh, that it will actually uh, that it will actually take hold. Um, could be, but it's actually very very good advice. And it's but uh,
0: I actually had an email exchange with. A- One of our PhDs from Carnegie Mellon, a real bright guy who's now a professor, Mm. Um, and he had been advocating the war, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the people. I You're
1: talking about the current Iraq war. The current
0: Iraq war. And uh, I emailed him saying, you know, by the way, what do you think now? And it was a very polite message saying, have you changed? Mm -hmm. Have you reconsidered your sources of information, the pundits that you believed or whatever? He came back and said, well. I was wrong about this, that, and that, but no, I haven't changed anything about <laughs> right? about what I read. And,
1: All right. So. Well, maybe that's human nature. All right. So we're going to take a brief uh, musical break, and we'll be back after the break uh, with uh, Michael Ratner from the Center for Constitutional Rights. Uh, we'll be back shortly. <laughs> Oh, Welcome back to Left Out on WRCT 88.3 FM and podcasting on the World Wide Web at leftout.info. We're very pleased to have today as a guest on Left Out, uh, Michael Ratner, who is the president for the Center for Constitutional Rights. Uh, Michael Ratner, welcome to Left Out. Thank you for having me. Thank you for calling in. So, uh... It's really great to have you on. Uh, as you may
0: know, our our radio station is now broadcasting um, Law and Disorder, which is a really good radio show that you guys produce out there in, uh, in New York, and we're putting that on on Monday mornings here on WRCT. No, it's
2: really excited to hear that. It's great because you know, what's going on in this country, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners know and you do, is we're having, an, you know apart from the Iraq war, which is not, I don't know, apart from that, because that's really, to me, the overriding issue here, uh, but we're really changing the fundamental laws to protect us. And from torture to indefinite detention to the writ of habeas corpus. And our show really tries to cover the oppression that has been coming out of this government, uh, particularly since not, post-9-11. And, and the latest, I mean, the last show we did was, you know, on uh, really sort of my week spent in Washington trying to get a bunch of senators uh, to reverse themselves on, on ripping out the guts of habeas corpus, which is... If some of your listeners don't know, is the right to test your detention in court, um, which we're using to try and test the detention of the Guantanamo detainees.
1: Right. So uh, the, the situation with that at the moment is the uh, bill has passed both the House and the Senate, and they're in reconciliation at the moment. Is that right? the
2: minor reconciliation? There uh-huh. were a couple of small differences. The situation is probably the president is waiting for an opportune moment when he can crow to, crow to the country that we're, uh, uh, you see, now uh, we're not weak on terrorism, and when it's appropriate for him to sign it so that he can think he can uh, help the Republicans win the election, in spite of what uh, Mr. Foley has apparently been accused of.
0: Yeah. So habeas corpus just means the, the right to basically be, uh, to know what you're being accused of. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: It literally means in Latin, IF ANYBODY REMEMBERS THEIR HIGH SCHOOL LATIN, YOU HAVE THE BODY. OBVIOUS, hey, YOU KNOW, HAVE THE BODY. AND IT DEMANDS THE jailer TO BRING THE BODY BACK BEFORE THE COURT, THE, the PERSON, and, AND THE PERSON IS ENTITLED TO SAY IN THE COURT, GOVERNMENT, WHY ARE YOU HOLDING ME? YOU HAVE TO come, GOVERNMENT, COME UP WITH A LEGAL REASON WHY YOU'RE HOLDING ME. IT GOES BACK REALLY TO 1215, THE MAGNA CARTA. IT'S THE FUNDAMENTAL PROTECTION AGAINST THE POLICE STATE. WITHOUT THE RIGHT OF habeas CORPUS, YOU KNOW, YOU HAVE NOTHING. THE GOVERNMENT CAN PICK YOU UP TOMORROW put you in a prison, leave you there forever, and never bring you before the court, have no charges or no reason. And this government, really, this administration, since 9-11, uh, has tried to do that. They first tried to do it with the Guantanamo detainees, uh, you know, the 400 or 500 or so, 500 right now, uh, people detained in Guantanamo, all non citizens. And we won in the Supreme Court in 2004. In 2004, the Supreme Court said, you can go to court, and the government has to come up with good reasons why they're detaining you. Uh, they, the President went to Congress. Uh, the Congress uh, dutifully said, "Oh no, you don't." Uh, we went back to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, "Oh yes, you do have the right." That's in June of 2006.
0: Well, you guys were doing that, or the Center for Constitutional right. Rights was? Uh, Has
2: been okay. basically. We were the first people to take the. Uh, Take the Guantanamo cases. We now have a huge group of lawyers, 500 or so lawyers, uh, helping us represent people. And, you know, we've sent lawyers to Guantanamo. And, you know, if your listeners are wondering who's at Guantanamo, you know, when I first took these cases, I thought these might be like Rumsfeld said the worst of the worst. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the statistics are remarkable. Even according to the government's own papers, which we've been able to get a hold of as our, as our litigation has gone forward, 95% of these people uh, were detained by other groups, by warlords in Afghanistan, Pakistani people, intelligence, and they were deta- 87%, almost all of them, were detained because of bribes. I've seen the leaflets they dropped over Afghanistan. They say things like, You can be rich. You can be richer than you ever were. Turn over a Taliban. Turn over an al-Qaeda person. Well, you can imagine who got turned over and who's in Guantanamo.
0: But what is the purpose? I I never understood what is the purpose of this. What, What is the purpose of having 480 completely innocent people locked up?
2: You know, I don't know whether they're all innocent, but let's say the majority shouldn't be there, high majority. I think, but it's a very good question. And I think the, at first, I think they actually were so caught, you know, in a certain way by having so, few, so little inroads into informants in, you know, Muslim groups in Afghanistan and everything. They, they probably just decided to round up a bunch of people and figure out what's going on. They've released a couple hundred over time. Maybe some of those have been released as informants or otherwise. Maybe they just figured, well, maybe some of them have intelligence and they'll learn something. Um, that's part of it. Part of it, I actually think, sad to say, is they want to terrorize people in the world, and particularly the Muslim world. They want to say to people, whether with these people, even though there are the people
0: a lot in of, Abu, Abu Ghraib or right. other, other.
2: Abu yeah. Ghraib is another example, showing them that you fall into our hands, you do something that we don't like, and we will torture you, and worse, we'll eventually send you to Guantanamo, and you weren't here from your family, you won't see your family, and you're there forever. And so I think they're sending a message of terror to, really, to the Muslim world. Yeah, and, it
0: it, and again, it doesn't do any good in terms of even gathering intelligence. Mm-hmm as far as anybody's ever done,
2: as far as I can tell, because, you know, if you talk to people, they'll say, well, the best way to gather intelligence, uh, both military people feel this, in terms of individuals, is, first of all, not to torture them. But in terms of the broader Muslim community or the community of people you want to learn from, the last person is going to come, no one's going to come forward if they think of what they say is going to wind them up in Guantanamo.
0: Let me ask you this question about the habeas corpus um, mm, yeah, rules. Are, are you... Uh, does, does, the, does this new legislation, it, what is it called, the detainee bill or something?
2: Called, the first one is called Detainee Treatment Act. But what your listeners should know now, it's called the Military Commission Act. It's named after these special kind of kangaroo trials. They want to give up only a few of these people. But a couple of pages of a very long bill basically say no non-citizen in the world no non-citizen in the United States, including legal permanent residents, uh, no non-citizen picked up anywhere in the world by the U.S has a right to test their detention any longer. The writ okay. of habeas corpus, as I said, goes back to 1215, ripped out, so I, uh, away from non-citizens. So
1: I've heard a variety of information, I think partly because of the reversions of the bill and being changed, but I've heard it going back and forth, whether or not it specifically uh, says uh, non-citizens or not, or whether it's only something more vague and general, like well, the, you know, the, enemy it, combatants, whatever that nonsense is. That's a very says.
2: good question. With regard to the actual right of habeas corpus, the right to test your detention, it only takes it away for now um, from non-citizens. That includes legal permanent residents. They tried to take it away a few years ago from citizens, and they got struck down in a court. But so for right now, it only takes it from non-citizens. I won't say only, because it includes your neighbors, um, legal permanent residents, and undocumented workers, clearly.
1: But also, there's a Jose Padilla, you know, right, Jose who they, was who they held that tried for to take it away from. exactly held for three years without charge or trial. Right, exactly. In well, the United but, States of America, can you imagine that?
2: Let's not. Right, what I want to do is. Jose Pitti is an American citizen. He's the one that you know colloquially is known as the Dirty Bomber. although he know he's Yeah, true, right. Yeah. Uh huh.
1: Sure. He's um, a two-bit near duel. Right. Who, got, for some got, reason, who has been, uh, you know, been, uh, been been used as a as a tool by the Bush administration.
2: Exactly. Right. Taken off a plane in Chicago, put away yeah. for three years. He eventually did get the right to test his detention by habeas corpus. Right. But as soon as it was getting near the Supreme Court, they took him out and they they indicted the guy with a real crime, supposedly a real crime, but right. who knows? So that's how they didn't test it, but he got a right to to habeas corpus. That's right. What you're referring to, and it's a really important point that has been completely missed and almost no one has picked up, is there's definitions in the statute of of what this administration calls unlawful enemy combatants. And those they define very broadly, and they not only define them broadly, it's left up to the President of the United States to decide who is an unlawful enemy combatant. And that includes American citizens. That's the Jose Padilla case. He can decide tomorrow that you guys or me are unlawful enemy combatants. And he can put us into a prison, not charge us, and hold us forever. We do, as citizens, if you guys are, have a remedy that says we can go to court and get habeas corpus. But if you look at what you were just referred to on Jose Padilla... Three years in jail, and the guy did never really get a hearing before the supreme Court and then they went as soon as he came close, they moved him to another kind of prison
1: uh, it's uh, t- it's uh, totally amazing to think that this is possible but it but it but it, it, it absolutely is the case i mean it 's completely shocking as i as I recall there there's no uh, the unlawful enemy combatant category i don 't recall that being in the Constitution, is it
2: not in the Constitution, I think it's an an illegal category, it's really what the Congress was sadly doing, and 12 Democrats went with some Republicans on doing this, Uh, they basically are saying that we think the President should have the authority to detain anyone in the world um, when he wants, uh, and know, basically forever. And and it's made the world the president's battlefield. So the president has always insisted the world is my battlefield. It's made him the commander in chief. Essentially, uh, the president is, you know, is all powerful in this
1: one. So we're talking uh, to Michael Ratner, who is the president of the Center for Constitutional Rights. At the moment, we're talking uh, a bit about the the new uh, bill. Uh, It's called the Military Tribunals Act. What did you say it was called? The Military military Commission Act. Act, um, And that many of you have heard about, which, amongst other things, uh, denies the Right of habeas corpus to uh, to uh, non-citizens and introduces this notion of an unlawful enemy combatant, which is a complete fiction that the president can can declare anyone to be an unlawful enemy combatant and deprive them of their rights. You're welcome to call in and talk with Michael Ratner if you wish. Uh, you can call us at four one two two six eight on nine seven two eight. You can also send electronic mail to bob at left out dot info. So Michael, oh, go ahead, Dan. So uh, I was wondering if if um.
0: Uh, if, if the American people are going along with this, I mean, the the the, the 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 propaganda line is that this is going to help the president wage his war on terrorism and protect the American people. Yeah, these are the is tools. Anybody, he is means. anybody buying that? Apparently, they are.
2: You know, this is so complex I mean, not complex, it's so disturbing to me. You know, I yeah, spent a week list. in Washington really meeting various senators to try and get them to at least not strip habeas corpus. And what I got was I got, you know, majority, almost every Democrat but one, and then we picked up one of your senators, Spector.
1: Yeah, good old uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at
2: least that part of it. And then when it came to the bill, 12 Democrats deserted us and passed the whole thing. And what they said to us, look, we're in contested elections. If we appear weak on terrorism, we're going to lose, you know. And and, and and so when you say, are people buying it, I can't tell you, but I can tell you that certainly the Democrats in there and probably the Republicans, but the liberal Republicans are buying into this fiction that they that they can't appear weak on, quote, terrorism, or else they're going to lose elections. And the problem is that's going to go forever. Let's say the Democrats win. Next time I go to them, they're going to say, well, we're not going to win the next election. and. And, and, and what you get here when you start depriving people of fundamental rights, and the, the bill now says we have two things you and I have discussed. One is this rid of habeas corpus. The next is this enemy combatant. And the third is really that it allows a, a certain level of torture. Uh, when you when you put those things into legislation, you don't go backwards very easily. We we don't get rid of it. It becomes a sort of floor. And even if the Democrats get control. I'm not going to get a good argument. I'm not going to get. I mean, I'm not going to get them to reverse this easily.
1: Exactly. They're not. They're going to say there's nothing in it for them. I was thinking about this myself the other day. Is there's, and I can't envision a scenario in which. Uh, uh, you know, even if Congress changes hands, presidency changes hands, we could still, in which they would say, look, this is not right. We're going to restore this. You know, I what couldn't about agree with you more. Because you're mollycoddling terrorists, aren't you? You know, you see, because terrorists are self-evidently terrorists, and George Bush knows who they are, and you want to mollycoddle them, don't you? you,
2: know, you got it perfectly right on the nose.
0: But how, how, uh, how did the Alien and Sedition Act, is that what it was called, the one that they used to intern the Japanese-Americans?
2: Well, they didn't need that any longer. But, yeah, they, partly they could do that right. But the Japanese-Americans, interesting. Uh, you're right, there's two CATEGORIES OF PEOPLE WHO WERE, IN TURN, THERE WERE CITIZENS AND ALIENS. THERE WERE 110,000 ALTOGETHER maybe split half and half, a few more of one or the other. So the, a- the aliens, yeah, the a- it, it, it was, it, what's left of the Alien and Sedition Act is the alien part. And that does give the president the authority to detain aliens in the United States. And, just, and they're under-declared wars, really, not, not in this situation. But they did also detain fifty or 60,000 U.S. citizens. Think about that, who are, just happened to be of Japanese ancestry. And, you know, the question is, you know, we're coming very close to that now very close with this concept that we've been discussing of enemy combatant. You label people enemy combatant, and you can detain them, uh, and that includes citizens. So we're, we're getting at the edge, and that was probably one of the most embarrassing episodes certainly of the last 50 years. Uh, it happened 60 years now. Um, and the fact that we're getting close to doing that again, and we've already said you can label citizens mm-hmm. enemy combatants, just at the best of the president, uh, is, is incredibly disturbing. I mean, people should be just shocked by what's going on here in the last, in the last few months on this legislation. It, you know, The president was, it was considered he had too much authority, too much authority, and everybody said, well, he has to go to Congress. Well, now he's going to Congress, and they've actually given him even more authority than he had before he went. Mm-hmm. So what do we have here?
1: So our producer, Matt Horniak, asks um, whether the bill, he uh, has heard that the bill redefines what a terrorist act is and, and possibly includes uh, just political protests. Uh, what, what can you say about that?
2: Right. That That's included in the definition of enemy combatant. It says that an, un, an unlawful enemy combatant is anyone who, who has basically given material support um, to attacking the United States. Well, material support um, is very broadly stated. It certainly could include. Uh, not necessarily unclear, but could include First Amendment speeches, you know, supporting certain kinds of actions. I mean, I don't mean terrorist actions. I don't mean militant actions. Just saying, you know, you support, you know, conceivably, you know, Hamas or something in, in the Middle East, mm-hmm. a group that's been labeled terrorist by the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, unlikely to go that far, but it's 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 in that range, whereas we had a case where people wanted to teach, you know, an alleged terrorist group the Geneva Conventions, And that was considered materially aiding, and the the government tried to go after him. So it's a very broad definition, but in some ways, the definition, it's scary, but it doesn't make much difference because the definition is self-defining in the sense that the president can designate whoever he wants, who he thinks that fits that definition. And if you're an alien, there's no court test.
0: So we just actually promoted on the show and announced a a protest that's going to be taking place on Saturday uh, an anti- yeah, recruitment, yeah. anti-recruitment anti-recruitment yeah. demonstration at the recruiting station down here near, in the uh, in Oakland District of Pittsburgh. So I guess that could be, uh, you know, if anything happens over there, they could decide you're a dec- terrorist. You
2: know, the thing is, I don't want to discourage people from continuing doing vigorous protest against the war in Iraq and recruiting in particular. I mean, I think it should be done. But when I gave my examples of what could happen under here, because I came out of the 70s, or the late 60s, mm-hmm. and people would occasionally actually uh, take violence against or whatever you want to call it against draft stations, you know, against um, recruiting stations, you know, arguably um, that could be be considered materially supporting attacks against the United States. Um, if you, you know, if people burned down a, uh, a recruiting station, um, and and. And, you know, while I don't think that would be the first case these guys want to start with, you know, I certainly think that over the five years what we've seen here is uh, a a repressive machine has been put in, uh, not only abroad but at home as well, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if at some point uh, that they look at all kinds of acts like this against a war machine uh, as as materially aiding attacks against the United States.
0: So there there have been a number of instances uh, in which they've infiltrated Peace movements, right? The the Quakers have been infiltrated, and other other possibly dangerous groups. I mean, dangerous in, in quotes. I mean, it's it's so absurd that they're spending money uh, and time investigating these these totally peaceful protest movements. It's no, it's impossible. Um, there's another topic that um, I think it came up recently. Um, I heard you talk about it uh, before, that having to do with the Cuba. I think the Cuba Five or something.
2: We we cover the Cuba Five quite a bit on our show um, because it's not not a very covered issue. Um, But the Cuba Five were five five men who were here actually trying to stop terrorist attacks against Cuba. Uh, They were uh, – some of them are Cuban and some are Cuban-American. And eventually they got – they were even cooperating – I mean, they were even, like, trying to work with the FBI to prevent – terrorists from leaving the United States and going to Cuba and attacking Cuba. Eventually they got convicted of of essentially spying or espionage, although I don't think there was any materials that were, like, secret materials in that sense. Uh, But they got convicted of that, and they're doing very long sentences uh, in prisons right now. And there's been a huge protest about the unfairness of their trial, as well as about the fact that the U.S. has for 40 years allowed terrorists to leave its shores or supported those terrorists in killing over, you know, at this point, probably almost 3,000 people in Cuba.
0: Yeah, there was uh, the story that's been covered in Democracy Now!, um, this Jose Padilla. No, 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 not Jose Padilla. Um, this, the, 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 the the terrorist um, who blew up the Cuban airliner. Right. What was his name? I don't um, know. Not yeah, no, I the, know you just now um, you said it wrong. Postada, Posada. 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 Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and he apparently has been basically been. He's still he's living in the U.S. I think he's a free man. Oh, no, it's, he was arrested on some other some other uh, pet minor charge, right? Embezzlement or something.
2: Well, it's, it, it's horrible. I mean, there was an airliner blown up that had the entire, that had you know seventy some Cubans on it, the entire Cuban fencing team that a woman who I was vaguely knew the uh, film director, Jose, I think it was Santiago Alvarez, I think his wife was on the plane, and they blew it up. Um, and, I mean, the terrorists blew it up. Um, at various times, I don't know whether that particular incident was, they were working for the CIA, the guys. Posada was, uh, you know, apparently one, of not apparently, was one of them, was convicted of it, um, served time in a Venezuelan jail, then was escaped or allowed to escape. And eventually uh, then got blamed for some more terrorist acts in Cuba, came to the United States and was for a while walking around and treated as a hero in the Miami community. And now they're trying to deport him back after a lot of pressure, supposedly deport him back to You know, somewhere where he can get tried, either back to Venezuela to prison, or, of course, they don't want to give him to Chavez. They've asked for an extradition uh, of the guy to finish his sentence in Venezuela. The U.S. won't do it. Cuba, they're obviously not going to send this guy to. And here he is, basically, a convicted terrorist. Um, At this point, he may still be in jail. Uh, pending it, because after six months of walking around, there were so many protests, how can the U.S. stand for anything if it's letting a guy who blew up an airplane walk the streets of Miami?
1: Hey, he's not a terrorist, he's a freedom fighter.
2: Right, exactly right.
0: Yeah, it just
1: shows the incredible
0: hypocrisy of this whole, quote, war on terrorism, unquote, how ludicrous it is, that they're supporting this one, it's totally relative to, to which, quote, side you're on, not what the heinous... The heinousity of the crimes you're willing to commit, or that you did commit.
2: No, we had that with um, with a guy named Toto Constant, who was a, you know, a man who was, uh, we feel was uh, very involved in the death squads in Haiti, and a bench and one of the leaders of a group called FRAP, which was uh, one of the right-wing groups after Jean Bertrand was overthrown in Haiti in the early 90s, and he came here and he's living freely in Queens. So there you go. I mean, yeah. we have uh, plenty of terrorists who our government has supported over time, particularly around Cuba, but other countries as well, uh, that, that we just not only turn up Well, line,
1: throughout Central America fight, in the and 80s.
2: Actually all those guys from Central America, <laughs> a lot of them were living here. That's right. Salvadoran generals, all those guys.
1: Uh, absolutely true. We're talking with uh, Michael Radner, who's the president for the Center of Constitutional Rights. You're uh, welcome to call us and uh, talk with uh, Mr. Radner, at, uh, calling us at 412-268-9728 or you can also send mail to bob at leftout.info.
2: I want to encourage people to go to our website. Yes, please. ccr-ny.org. Okay. And there's a lot of information on there. There's actions you can take, although I'm getting frustrated as to what you can actually do right now within the streets and protests. That's
1: exactly what I was going to ask you is what can our listeners do to help?
2: Well, I think going to your protest that you're suggesting Mm -hmm. is really an important one. Um, in I, mean, in terms I, think you, I think we need, I mean, look, I, I go to Congress, I go to courts. that's what I do for my living, but in the end, those those institutions react to street protest and to real protest and to you guys, you know, putting people up, you know, really saying, why did you do this? Specter? why did you vote for this bill? You know, why did you do this? Um, Etc. Really do something. You got to get out there and show that you care.
1: Well, we're hoping in a month that we can uh, we can hold uh, Santorum accountable. Uh, I hope so too. We'll, uh, we have a chance at it uh, coming up uh, one month from uh, now, just about. I notice. Uh, the, so the, the CCR is planning to uh, challenge. I presume uh, the the new uh, Military Commissions Act as soon as it's well, enacted. Well, we're in court or? already, already on Guantanamo uh, because we represent okay.
2: everybody there. And on Monday we filed, or on just on Friday, just before. Well, it hasn't been signed. But we we filed 21 cases for people detained at Bagram, which is the
0: okay. which is
2: the Guantanamo in Afghanistan. Where once we got access to Guantanamo in the Supreme Court, uh, they stopped sending people to Guantanamo and they stopped doing the level of torture that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And instead, they opened Bagram—not open, but they taken the people to Bagram, where there's probably about 500 people now who we just have no access to. So we filed cases on that, which will all involve challenges to what this to the Military Commission Act, because it'll involve challenges challenge to of the torture, challenge of the habeas, challenge of the enemy combatant stuff. So we're out there, but you know, if you want to really be clear here, assuming courts are going to work here, we're hanging in the Supreme Court by one vote. We won the last case, really five to four, in June right. called Hamden, and and you yeah. know that's Justice Stevens, who's 87 years old. I know. So yeah. you're we're talking assuming we think the courts are going to offer some protection, um, and they only do, of course, when there's enough out there that.
1: And the shame it of it all is, you know, what we're talking about here is that, for example, if these people are so obviously dangerous and such terrorists, why can we not present the charges against them? Why can they not be uh, charged officially with their crimes?
2: Well, I agree. I mean, we've said that about the Guantanamo people for a long time. You got all these guys there; many of them shouldn't be there. Many of them are innocent. But our view is, you charge them, or you release them. I and mean, what are they doing here?
0: Here's another question that struck me the very first time I ever heard of Guantanamo. Why is it in Cuba? I mean, mm, obviously, so well, oh, it's because, because of some legal argument that it's not on American soil. But wh- why is that relevant at all to anything? It's completely controlled by the U.S. military. It's a farce.
2: Well, that's correct. I mean, um, it doesn't make much difference. But Let's not talk about how it got there for a second, but it's a base that's completely controlled by the U.S. Cuba has nothing to say about it. Cuban courts have nothing to say about it. It's really unique in terms of the military bases. Uh,
0: I it mean, prevents maybe. reporters from seeing what they're doing there because right. it's so it's so isolated. It prevents yeah. lawyers like you guys from going down.
2: Exactly. That's why they that's why they put the people there.
1: It's a they, gulag. Let's say it plainly. It's a gulag. Yes, this is our right. Siberia. Is it not?
2: I agree. That's what it is. You know, I got totally trashed once when they did this on Fox TV. And they said, Can you defend that Amnesty International called it a gulag? And I said, Yes. Well, they said X number of people who were killed in gulag, and only, and how many people have been killed in Guantanago? Guantanamo? I said, Well, what it stand, what gulag stands for is basically what the Soviets were doing in the gulags uh, in the Soviet Union, which is take people to a place where there is no hope, no legal hope. Uh, no political hope,
1: no access, and no
2: access at all. Where they're completely isolated, and you can do whatever you want to them. And that's what this administration believes it can do: whatever it wants to human beings.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Michael Radner from the Center for Constitutional Rights, for appearing on Left Out this week. Thank you, Michael, for calling in. We appreciate having you. Everyone should look at the Left Out Info website. We have a link to ccr-ny.org, which is the website for the Center for Constitutional Rights. And we wish you good luck uh, in uh, fighting these a horrible... And we're uh, thrilled
2: at your plans. show and that you're taking law on disorder. So thank you guys very much and keep it up. We need more more outposts of, uh, of the good like yours. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. Thanks. See you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.
0: My guess is that uh, they could probably use donations over there at the Center for Constitutional And Rights. if you
1: click Donate on the CCRNY.org website, uh, you're, that's just, I think it's easy to do. So that's, uh, let's, let's leave our listeners with that thought. Uh, thank you all for listening to Left Out on WRCT. Thank you to Matt Horniak for producing today's program, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening.